Have you ever looked at something that somebody was doing and thought to yourself, what is wrong with them? Don't say it out loud and don't raise your hand, right? We've all probably done that. But have you ever done this as well, where you looked at something you were doing and were saying, what's wrong with me? Why am I doing this? Or have you ever looked around and just said, who can fix this mess? It just seems to be kind of out of control. I'm praying and hoping that you'll hang in with me for the next 30 minutes. And I pray that you'll walk away and you will walk away with one truth stuck in your head that Jesus can fix this mess. And Jesus can fix the messes that we look and say, why are they doing that? Jesus can fix the mess when I look at myself and say, why am I doing that? And Jesus can fix the messes that are going on around our world today. And I'm not just saying that. I'm saying that with this text will remind us that Jesus has power and that God has a plan. And I want to remind us where we've been in this series, especially in the last number of weeks. And if you've been here for a while, you've been hearing this, but I'm just going to remind us again that we've been focusing lately on this theme of exile and that Jesus says in John 18 that his kingdom is not of this world. And so there's a kingdom that is not of what we can see around us and that we actually are living in exile as we wait for that kingdom to come and all of its completion. It is partly here because of what Christ has done, but it is not fully uh, completed yet. And so we're living in exile waiting for that. And so we've been connecting these themes of the people of Israel who were taken off into exile in these Old Testament books. And in Jeremiah, we talked about praying and living in such a way that we benefit the city while we live in exile. So the the passage we looked at in Jeremiah talked about that. While they were off in Babylon, they were supposed to live in such a way that they would actually benefit the city and they were to pray for the city. And then we talked about in Lamentations that while we're in exile, we, we, we can cry out to God when we see these things happening in our world and, and things that have happened to us. We don't have to just go, oh, I'm living in exile. This is hard. We can cry out and lament. And God gave us the, the beautiful tool of lament while we're in exile. We can do that. But then in Daniel, we talked about while we're living in exile, we need to hold on to the truth. And the truth is that God's in control. So all of that's what we have seen so far uh, from these books about living in exile. Then we went to Obadiah, and Obadiah reminded us that we have to trust and hold on to the idea that God has divine justice. And when we see injustice around us, we're to be about trying to bring about justice and righteousness in the city while we're living in exile. But we're also trusting that God in his divine sovereignty and justice will bring about divine justice. Now, what we're going to look at today in Ezekiel chapter 36, and if you have a Bible with you and you want to open to it, otherwise it'll be up on the screen, um, we're actually going to talk about what it means to live in exile. And Jenny, I'm going to skip the the full text and come to my notes, okay? Um, So we've got the new screens up. If you're new here, this is just our second week, so we're testing all this out. And Jenny's now up there, so I'm talking to her up there in the balcony. And we're going to talk about what is the problem... And we're going to talk about what is the solution, and then we're going to talk about where does the power come from to solve it all. So the first thing will be the problem. The second thing will be the internal or the personal solution. And the third part of the the text is going to talk about the external or the global solution. All right? So the problem, and then the internal and personal solution, and the external and the global solution. So let's start with the problem, and here we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 16 through 21, and you can follow along as I read that. 
The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols which they had, defi- which they had defiled it. And I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out from the land. But I had, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. So this is Ezekiel. He's a prophet who's in exile. So he'd been captured and taken off into exile. And he had been having these visions from the Lord and been having things to speak to the people in exile. And this is way deep into the book now in Ezekiel chapter 36. He's, he's sitting there in exile watching what's happening. And he's talking to the people about why they're here, what the problem is. And the problem was that the way that they were living was profaning the holy name of the Lord. And when the prophet, this is what one of the commentators said, when the prophet spoke of blood poured out, he was probably referring to these things. There were actually murders going on that they were okay with and that they were just allowing to happen. There was judicial violence, and what that means is simply the judges weren't being just. They were making decisions based on what was best for them, what could line their pocketbooks. There was no justice happening anywhere. And they'd even gotten to this place where they were worshiping gods in which they were making child sacrifices. So they were worshiping idols, and they were bringing their children to be sacrificed. And then the other things that God had commanded his people to do, they were not concerned for the poor. They were not looking out for the widow and the orphan and those who were vulnerable. So with all that going on, they, they, God says, enough is enough, and, and you are not being honoring to my holy name, and so I'm going to bring some justice. Now, we have to remember, this is so important, and I want to keep bringing you all the way back to Genesis each time we preach so that you can see this part of the thread. The covenant God made with Abraham was that he was going to make him into a great nation, and that nation was going to bless the world, not hurt the world, not be unjust in the world, not having murders that were happening rampantly without anybody bringing justice, not having judicial violence, not sacrificing children to idols, not being unconcerned for the poor and the widow and the orphan and all who are vulnerable. That's not how they were going to bless the nations. They were going to bless the nations by honoring God and his holy name. And they weren't doing it. And so because of that rebellion, God sends them off into exile. And while they're in exile, these two things are happening. Others were saying, oh, see, that God isn't a very great God because he couldn't even protect his people. And now here they're living in Babylon, our country, our nation, our city. And that may not be a very great God if he couldn't take care of them. So his name was being profaned in that way. Another way that his holy name was being profaned was that people were still living the same way, even in exile. (laughs) So they weren't being a blessing to the city. They weren't being a blessing to Babylon. Now we'll see certain pockets of that, like men like Daniel. But as a whole, they continued to live in the way that they were living before they went into exile. And they were profaning God's holy name. So that was the problem. The problem was, I'm concerned, he says, for my holy name, which the house of Israel has profaned among the nations in which they came, from which they came. And so I just want to remind you, this was not like a, 
some small little thing that was going on. This was massive rebellion towards what God had called his people to do and how God had called his people to live. And what God was calling them to do was to bless the nations, and they were doing everything but that. So that is the problem. That's the issue that Ezekiel is going to be talking about, that God is going to be speaking to the people of Israel. And guess what? To you and I now today, God's speaking through Ezekiel to us. And this is what he goes to now, and this is the part that is just phenomenally, phenomenally beautiful. And if you can just hang in there with me, I hope you can see it today. And this is the internal or personal solution. So we see where the problem was, but what is the solution now to the problem? And there are several parts of it, and this is kind of the meat of where we want to be today. This is what he says in verse uh, 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, God speaking through Ezekiel, telling him what to say to the house of Israel, that now has implications for us today. Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now, here's the question that we have to wrestle with a little bit. How is, for the sake of my holy name, part of the solution? Thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, verse 22, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. Now, when we hear God say stuff like that, it really sends us for a spin, I think, because our brains are like, well, wait a minute, who does he think he is that he's doing this for his sake? Doesn't that make him like somebody up here with an ego, and doesn't that make him like the opposite of what we're told to live, and humility, and things like that? How is, for the sake of my holy name, part of the solution? Now, I want you to pause for a moment, and I need you to engage in this thought, Okay. And use your imagination and just think what comes to your mind when I say this. What if you knew the original or greatest, most powerful, most intense source in the universe of these following things? And this will just be a short list. It won't be exclusive. The original, greatest, most powerful, intense source in the entire universe of selfless and pure love. What if you knew the original, greatest, most powerful, intense source in the entire universe of goodness and kindness, of compassion and care, of beauty and perfection, of power and strength, of knowledge and understanding, of justice and hope, of holiness and righteousness? What if you knew the original, greatest, most powerful, and intense source in all of the universe for endless grace and mercy? The most supreme, the highest, the greatest, the most lovely, the mighty being in all of the universe. As the old preacher used to say, I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. <laughs> and there's a whole lot more that I could have said about those characteristics and attributes. But that is God. He's indescribable. But yet he is all of these things. 
Now, what if I knew the original or greatest, most powerful, most intense source of all things in the universe, the greatest treasure that exists, and I hid it away as my own personal treasure? What if I knew all of that and I put it in a little box and took the box and kind of hid it like this, like you did when you were a kid and you had your treasure box and you hide it from everybody? And I don't want you to know about it because, man, I know all of this. I got the greatest, most amazing being in the universe, and I'm going to hide him in my own personal little box. Would you think that I was good? Or would you think that that was selfish and wrong? Maybe some would even say evil. To know all that and hide it away? You see, God, for the sake of his great name, but also for the sake of the entire universe, shares himself and who he is with the world. You see, the beauty of all of this is that God is all of these things and way, way more than I just tried to describe in just a few words here this morning. And so God, for the sake of his great name and to share it with the entire universe, because all of creation benefits from it and from all that he is, the greatest thing that he could do is to display it to display his glory and to display who he is. It would be wrong for him to say, I am all of these things, love and beauty and graciousness and power and knowledge, and I'm just going to go sit over here in the corner and let you guys just figure out the universe. I'm going to spin it as some thought God did, and I'm going to start it, and I'm just going to walk away. But that's what, not what he was doing. He wanted us to see all of his splendor, all of who he was. He wanted us to see his glory and all that he had to offer because of who he was. So the greatest thing he can do for us is to display his glory, but then the next step is to help us to appreciate and enjoy it. Now, this is what's, what's so amazing about this, and I need you to, to hang in there with me. So the greatest thing he can do to, is display it, but the problem is I can't appreciate it and understand it unless he does some more work. And so in order to do that, he's going to do something first to vindicate his name. That's what he talks about here. I'm going to do some things that vindicate my name, but then he's going to do some things that will change us so that we can appreciate and love and so that we can want to know his glory. Do you know that you were designed to appreciate the glory of God. But sin came into the world. And here's what's crazy. He isn't vindicating his name and doing all this by completely destroying us. That's what he could have done. And those who profaned his name in the first place. That's what he could have done. That's what he could have done to you and to me. But he isn't going to do that. He's going to do a work. This is the beautiful part. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to vindicate his name, and he's going to make his glory and all that is in him that is so amazing. He's going to make it available to us, but we don't have the ability to see it unless he comes and he does the rest of the work. So he displays who he is, but now he's got to come and do a work for a sinful heart that changes me so that I can see it and I can appreciate it and I can understand and know him. And this is what he's going to do, and this is the part that is the beautiful part of this passage, and I'm just praying I can preach it right. He says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. 
From all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And then I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you, listen to what it says here, verse 27, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the spiritual transformation promised in the new covenant. Instead of the law working from the outside in, God promises a new heart to work from the inside out. And so this is where we're going to jump now to the New Testament and see some of these connections. And I hope that you can see how easily they connect with this passage. Jesus is going to remind us that it's what is going on inside of a person that makes us unclean, not what we put into our bodies, but what comes out of our bodies. You see, the issue is, the problem is us. We tend to make it everything else. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 15, verse 11. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. That, what, that is what defiles a per- person. So the real problem is what's coming out of my mouth and what's coming out of my heart. The real problem is me. The problem is what is going on inside of me that comes out in the ways that are unclean. Now, if that was the end of it, I'd sit down and we'd all go home being extremely depressed. (laughs) But listen to the rest of this. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. We need a cleansing and we need a rebirth. And that's what Ezekiel was talking about. Jesus answered to the man who came to him, the Pharisee, the religious leader, he said, what do I need to help me understand? And Jesus says, truly, truly, whenever you see Jesus say truly, truly, he means listen, listen. (laughs) This is important. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born new spiritually, you cannot see this kingdom that Jesus is talking about. How can a man be born again when he's old? Nicodemus asks a really logical question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, listen to this now and think about what we just looked at in Ezekiel. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is a need for a cleansing and a new birth. We need a new spiritual birth. Now, there's been a lot of questions when we hit that word water. Unless one is born of water, some thought that meant baptism, and I don't think that that's a very likely interpretation of that. Some meant, and this is where I probably would have leaned in the past, some went that born of water means birth. You're just physically being born, and so there's a breaking of water, and the, the idea of the water at birth, and then you have to be born with the spirit. So you're physically born, then you're born in the spirit. I really think it's connected back here to Ezekiel. There's a cleansing, a spiritual, this is a metaphor, a picture. There is a need for a spiritual cleansing, a washing of water. That is what Ezekiel's talking about. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And so Jesus is saying you need to be washed spiritually and cleansed and then given a new spirit. So unless one is born of water, cleansed, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's differences. We can talk more about that at another time, but I think you can see this idea that there's this need for being born new spiritually. 
And then the Apostle John talks about in 1 John that not only that, but then we are cleansed, like this picture from Ezekiel, we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. So see how these just parallel, all of this is in Ezekiel, is the thread leads us to the New Testament, and we see Jesus coming and doing that now, and he's cleansing us, washing us from all unrighteousness. And then this is what happens. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, now we're a new creation. So I'm being cleansed, and now I get the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ living in me, and I'm a new creation. And listen to where this new creation leads to. The result of it, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So now I'm back here, all this way back. I'm dead. I need a new spiritual birth, and Jesus is going to do all of it. All of it so that I can see him and know him. And he's going to transform me and change me and give me a new spirit. And this new spirit is going to be the spirit of Christ. So I can see the world like the mind of Christ. So like Christ sees the world. Isn't that just astonishing? And all of this is talked about back here in Ezekiel and completed and fulfilled in the New Testament. All of this results in us being able to know and to understand and to appreciate and to have communion with God Almighty. The one God who says, I am not going to hide myself, the God, excuse me, I'm not going to hide myself, I'm going to make myself known to you, but you can't know me unless I come now and change you. And the beauty is he does all the work. He does it all, and he gets all the glory. And here's the result. Listen to this. This is, to me, just amazing. So think of all this that's happening. I'm being cleansed. I'm being born new spiritually. I'm being given a new heart. I'm being given now the spirit of Christ in such a way that it changes me and I become a new creation and in that new creation, I have the spirit and mind of Christ so I can see the world like Christ sees the world. And guess what? I even can see Christ and the spirit and the father in a new way because Christ helps me to see them like he sees them. So now all of a sudden, it's all different. And what you see in the universe and what you see in other people and what you see in who God is it is all new and different because the Spirit of God is helping me to have the mind of Christ. So one of the results is being able to know and understand and appreciate and to have communion and then to ultimately be able to call him Father, to call him Savior, to call him Friend, to call him Lord. That's what he wants. He wants us to be able to do that, but he knows we can't. So he says, I'm going to come down and do a work in you. I know this is a, a, probably a weak example, but it's just one that came to me this week to maybe help us just to see a little glimpse of what that can look like when he changes us. So now it is no longer just looking at the world, but now looking at it through the lens of appreciating the God of the universe and to know and appreciate his glory and all that that entails. He's talking about his glory here, and he wants you and I to know it and to see it and to understand it, and I can't because I'm a sinner, but with the help of God through the work of his spirit, I can. 
And this is just one small little example. I have this spot that I like to go when I go deer hunting. And the last couple of years, it's been this place that I find at the end of each day, I find myself back there. There's a big rock in the middle of this big opening, and you look out to, to the sunset, and they're just spectacular. I mean, they are like so, so spectacular that eat, wherever I'm at in the woods, I'm like, all right, what time is it, man? I got to get over to my spot because I've just been enjoying them so much in the last couple of years. But here's the thing. I just don't go there, and I, I should have brought some pictures, but pictures won't do justice. But they were, they were just brilliant and spectacular. But I don't just sit there and go, wow, those are amazing. You know what happens now? I can sit there and go, whoa, those are amazing. And God, you are something else. Because here's the thing, God. I'm sitting here out in the woods, and if I go 100 yards that way, it's going to look different. And so I got my, my families out in all their different places in the woods, and they're seeing it differently. I'm the only person in the universe seeing it exactly like this right now. That is crazy. <laughs> and I'm going, God, that's just amazing what you do. And you, get a you are allowing me to know your glory and your power in just a small way, watching this, well, it's a big way, <laughs> watching this sunset and being able to go, you are amazing. As opposed to just going, Sunsets are amazing. You see the difference? From going from sunsets are amazing to wow. <laughs> You've lost a loved one to go from, well, bad things happen in the world, people die, to there with the Lord. <laughs> Those are different, right? Seeing that baby born. So all, all, my, my, my three oldest were all premature, came early. Man, when that first one was born... And I'm holding them in my hands. I'm not going, oh, baby came in the world. And thanks to everybody who were helpful. I am glad for everybody who was helpful. But, you know, in that, in that delivery room. But I'm sitting there going, whoa, God. You got him here safe. And you kept him in there long enough. And I just want to praise you for that. You think I want to get on the phone, good, you know, Scandinavian, and call all my family and go, oh, yeah, Zach is here. This is really great. I want to go, hey, guess what? <laughs> He made it to 36 weeks, and he's here, and everything's okay. You see the difference when he wants to come and change our lives, not just for us. That's what Ezekiel's trying to help us see a little bit. We live in a world that it's all about us. And he's saying it's all about my glory because my glory is what's best. Man, I trade it for some lousy stuff sometimes, don't I? And I get distracted by all these other things. You see, he wants us to know and appreciate his glory and all that it entails. He doesn't want to hide it in a box because it's too great. It's too amazing. And then he gives us two more quick pictures of what's going to happen. And this is an interesting one. It's just a short one. This is still in the confines of the personal. Okay, so here he is working. He wants us to know his glory. He wants us to know his ma how majestic he is and perfect he is and all of who he is. And he's going to do that by sprinkling our hearts and giving us new hearts and changing us. And then he says this, there, and guess what? Then there's some blessing that will come from that. He said, you'll dwell on the land that I gave you for, to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I'm really excited and going to be eternally blessed to be able to say that God is my God. He said, you can dwell in the land, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness, 
Anybody like to see themselves delivered from all your uncleanness? And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Verse 31, then you will remember your evil ways, and look what will happen, and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for iniquity and your abominations. Now, we stop there and go, that doesn't feel very comfortable in the culture we live in. This is a beautiful passage, because what he's saying is you're going to remember it all, and guess what? You're going to have been cleansed from it. You're going to be able to say, yeah, that was me, but that's not me. It is not for your sake that I'll act, declares the Lord. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. It's okay for you to look back and say, yeah, we didn't do this so right. Because here's the thing. This is what's going to happen. There will be true repentance and transformation of heart and the blessings that come with it. So the last part of this was this is a a heart of repentance, they will see themselves and remember and go, oh, yeah, I don't want to go that way. I want to go another way. That's repentance. And that repentance leads to transformation, and then there's blessing that comes with that. So, yeah, sometimes I look back and I regret, and, well, every day God reminds me of something in my life that I need to repent of and to turn from. But that's a beautiful thing now because he wants me to experience that. He wants his people to know what repentance is, and it's okay to remember and to go, oh, man, i got to turn from that, because that's not what the glory of the Lord is all about. And now I actually have a cleansed heart and a transformed heart, so I can actually do it. I can actually cry out to the Spirit of the living God to help deliver me from my sin, to help deliver me from my attitudes and actions that aren't glorifying to him. And then finally, there's a solution for the nations. God will actually bring about some restoration. Real quickly, I'll just read through 33 through 36. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt and the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this is the land that was desolate and has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around shall know that I am the Lord. There's the point again. They will know that I am the Lord. And I have rebuilt the ruined places, and I have replanted that which was desolate. And I love this part. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. Isn't that good news? Because when the Lord speaks, he's going to do it. Oh, by the way, when the Lord speaks and says, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. He will do it. When the Lord says, you've been cleansed from all unrighteousness, whatever voice keeps coming back to you saying that you're not, that's not from the Lord. Because when the Lord says it, he will do it. He has spoken. And when he said that there is a place waiting for you and I, when we're done with our exile, it will be. It is true. It will happen. See, in this last part, ultimately the solution for the nations is also the good news of the gospel. The solution to the nations, that he will rebuild, he will replant, he will restore, he is the Lord, he has spoken, he will do it. And while we wait in exile, 
We're to work towards a world that reflects his glory by trying to bless the nations, but also waiting while we wait for him to restore all things. So on the one hand, throughout Christian history, it's been the church that built hospitals and parts of the world that didn't have medical care. You know, we've kind of reshaped the narrative instead of looking at what's really happened. And over the centuries, the church was the place that cared for the orphan and the widow. It was a church that built orphanages around the world. It was the people of God that built hospitals and sent medical personnel all around the world along with the gospel. And why? Because they were working towards reflecting his glory by their care for the city while they were living in exile all the time waiting for the restoration of all things, doing our part to make a difference and care for people who are in need in the name of Jesus, all the while waiting for his return. It's a complicated thing to live in exile. You're trying to figure out what you're supposed to be doing. And I think these passages in the Old Testament give us a picture of the transformation he wants to do and the fact that he wants to bless the city through you and me. He wants to bless the world through his people as we do the things that reflect his glory as we care for others, but also knowing that we're still waiting for him to bring the final conclusion to all of it and the final restoration that we see here at the end of Ezekiel 36. So here's what I want to leave with you today. While we wait in exile, and I want you to come back to me these final things. While we wait in exile, God wants you to know. God wants you to know who he is. God wants you to enjoy him. God wants you to trust him. God wants you to understand him. And God wants you to have a relationship with him. While we wait in exile, that's what he wants. He wants you to know him better. He wants you to enjoy who he is. He wants you to grow deeper in your trust of who he is. He wants you to have a greater understanding so that you can keep studying and learning and understanding. We do get to know some of who God is. And most of all, he wants to have a relationship with you, the one that he created in his image and sent his son to die for. But to do that in all of its fullness, you need a cleansed heart, you need a new heart, and you need a new spirit. And the good news is, God will do it. God will do it. All of it's available to us simply by putting our faith in Jesus. That's what's so amazing. Putting my faith in Jesus and what he's done for me, he will cleanse my heart, he will give me a new one, and he'll put a new spirit in me. He will do it. So God has offered to do all of those things through Christ so that we can know the fullness and the greatness and the glory of God. That's the good news today. He wants to make that great transformation, not only so that you can have eternal life, not only so that you can be forgiven of your sins, all of that is true and great, but so that you can actually look at that sunset. You can actually look at the forgiveness that you've experienced. You can actually know that the Spirit of God is at work in you. And you can see the greatness and glory of God and go, amen, this is awesome. That's why he wants to save you and I. 